So with that said, turn in your Bibles with me this morning. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. We're actually going to do a whole chapter. Praise the Lord. I titled this morning's message, Paul's Concern for Their Faith. These letters uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church in this area called Thessalonica, it's always amazing to me when you read Paul's writings, how great of a love and concern that he had for people, uh, for churches. Uh, He was willing to enter into the spiritual battle with his brothers and sisters in Christ because he knew that that battle was raging. It It was all around. He was experiencing it, and he knew that they were experiencing it too. And so Paul's concern for their faith This church was under great persecution at the time in church history. If you look at 1 Thessalonians, the whole book as a whole, there's five chapters in it. The first three chapters of this letter that Paul wrote, they have an emphasis upon Paul looking back, looking back to the believers in the way that he was writing, looking back on what God had done in them, how he, they were saved. It was, it was all a looking backward. In the last two chapters of this letter, it's Paul looking forward, what God wants to do in them and the, the work that he wants to continue in the believers there at Thessalonica as well as in our lives here. Paul... If you remember in chapter 2, verse 18, he spoke about how Satan had hindered him, how he wanted to come to the church there at Thessalonica. He wanted to see the believers there face to face, but it it tells us, therefore, uh, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, and it says time and again, but Satan hindered us. When you read words like that, it almost gives you the impression like Satan was getting the upper hand. Satan was kind of getting in the middle of all of what God wanted to do. You know, Satan kept me from being able to come to you. As if he was the one that was really hindering Paul. We live in a world that does have satanic influence. We do live in a fallen world that has lots of turmoil in it, that it has its origin in Satan and all the demonic forces. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. But when I read this, in my mind, Satan is not getting the upper hand. He never does in your life, nor does he in any work of God. Satan never has the upper hand. God is always in control, and it's good for us to to remind ourselves of that and to know that. As a matter of fact, and I want you to think of it this way, here's Paul saying that he's being hindered by Satan He wanted to come to them personally. That was the desire of his self. He wanted to see them face to face. But God wanted to do something a different way. You see, he was discipling a young man by the name of Timothy. Timothy was with him on this missions trip. And Paul says, I'm going to send Timothy back to Thessalonica to minister to them. And so here's a man, a young man that the Apostle Paul was discipling, and here he is now sending him back and giving him an opportunity to go back and minister to the believers there at Thessalonica. Do you see how God is still in control? God is still working? And not only that, but it was because Paul was unable to go to Thessalonica and see them face to face 
that when he was in Corinth there, that he sat down and under the leading of the Holy Spirit, he began to write First and Second Thessalonians, these letters that we are 2,000 years later getting blessed by in the church. Do you think that Satan had the upper hand? No, he didn't. We need to always remember that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He never has the upper hand over your life. God allows you to go down paths. He allows you to go through difficulties and trials of life, but it's always for your good. And he always has a bigger picture than you and I usually see. God has a plan and he's working those things through our lives. And even in that, he's using even our hindrances in life sometimes to further the gospel in somebody else's life or to for God to use you in another person's life, like he was using Paul with Timothy. I've also learned, though, that some of the best ministry that happens in the church and really happens amongst us, it, it happens in times of diversity. You see, when things get tough for us as believers... We usually, one of two things happens. Either we lose faith, turn away from God, start doubting him, questioning him, or we mount up with even a more boldness to be used of the Lord. We we trust that what we're going through in life, that even as difficult as it might be, as negative as it might seem, how, how we can't always see really what the good fruit is going to be from this trial and difficulty that God has a plan. It really comes down to an issue of faith on our part. It comes down to us really believing that God is in your life, even in these trials and these difficulties of life, and he is working for your good. These trials and tribulations of life, we all have them. Some of you experience these hindrances in life that we might even say ourselves, you know what, man, this, this must be the work of the enemy. He's just trying to, he's trying to hold, he's trying to do, you know, and we acknowledge that quite often. This is the work of the enemy. But our perspective is important. If we have a a good heavenly father, as we sang in worship, who cares about you and cares about your life, then do you trust him with all of these difficulties of life, all these hindrances that seem to come your way at times? How you react to these things from day to day when you go through them, it really tells you yourself what you really believe. Have you ever freaked out with those things? Have you ever gotten angry? Have you ever questioned God? Have you ever gotten into this mode of where's God? Why me? And all these, all these questions that arise in our hearts. It's how we react to them. It's not easy to go through them, but it's how we react. We read in the book of Genesis... We all know the story of Joseph and his brothers and how they sold him into slavery. And at the end there, we read that in chapter 50, verse 18, that his brothers on one occasion stood before Joseph. And it says that they stood before him in fear. Uh, They knew that they had thrown him into a pit. They knew that they sought evil for his life. And they were fearful now standing before Joseph who had all the power in his hand, he could have taken their life. And Joseph responds to his brothers by saying this, his brothers fell down before Joseph, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for for am I in the place of God? Asking them a question. He says, But as for you... You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good 
You meant evil against me when you threw me into that pit. You thought I was going to die. God turned around and meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. You see how God can take something that we would deem as being, you know what, Satan's got the upper hand here, doesn't he, over a child of God. And then he turns it around and uses it to save others. Don't ever think that the things that you endure in your life, that God is not taking those things and using it even in the lives of others. It's all, um, it's all an issue of perspective. We should know, if you don't know this verse, periodically I, I say, do you have this m- verse memorized? Why? Because it's a really important verse to grab hold of. This one is Romans 8.28. Do you have it memorized? Romans 8.28. Apostle Paul wrote this, for we know, or I could say, or we should know this, Or I could put it this way, we're coming to know this because it is a growing thing that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? Is it it easy for you in your mind When you look at your life situations, your trials, your difficulties, and when the Apostle Paul doesn't say that some things work together for the good, but that all things work together for the good. It doesn't say that all situations that come your way in life, that in themselves they are good, because some things are very tragic. They're very hard things, very difficult things. But God has the capability of turning those things around and using them for good in your life and in the lives of others. Why? He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. There's nothing too hard for him. He controls all of these things more than we give him credit for. It's an issue of faith. It's an issue of believing and standing upon what God has told you in his word. That he, and that God, I can't see how you're going to work this for my good. But your word says you will. And I trust you with that. Let's read uh, together chapter 3. Verses 1 to 5. Paul expresses his concern and his heart's desire for the believers there at Thessalonica. Look what he says in verses 1 to 5. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. Paul's great concern for these believers. Remember, they were ran out of town. He wanted to know how they were doing. And he had this great concern. That's why he's writing this letter back to them even. Verses 6 to 8, Timothy, in these verses, comes back to the Apostle Paul after Paul had sent him there to do some encouragement and some discipleship with them. He comes back to Corinth, where Paul had written these letters, and he comes back with a good report of how the believers are doing there. He says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you speaking about his return to him, and brought us good news of your faith and love, that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction 
and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. And then in verses 9 to 13, Paul, after hearing this report, he basically breaks out into a prayer of thanksgiving to God. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. Chapter 3 is still looking backwards as Paul is writing. He's looking backwards on what has happened in these believers' lives there in Thessalonica. Paul says the therefore, because of what he had just written before that, therefore, or on account of Paul's affection for them. He says we could no longer endure it. We thought it good to be left in Athens alone. Now, if you remember back when we started this book, we went and we started in Acts chapter 17. And I want to remind you of this, that the Apostle Paul, after he came in and for three Sabbaths began to preach the gospel there in Thessalonica, a brand new city, there was people that got saved. They, it heated up because of the gospel, for the gospel's sake, and they ran Paul and Silas and Timothy out of town. Their life was in danger. They made their way 40 miles down to a city called Berea. And it was in Berea there, as they were there, that they entered into a synagogue again like they always did. And he went in there and he preached the gospel. We're told that the men in Thessalonica followed Paul and Silas and Timothy to Berea. He, they followed them down. They heard them once again going into their synagogue and preaching the gospel. And they went in and began to stir up the people there, even in Berea. And so it was at this point that the Apostle Paul started uh, sensing that we need to uh, go back and see how the believers are doing there. But I can't go. Timothy, I want to send you back. You go on your own. You go back to Thessalonica. And so Paul sent Timothy. After Timothy left Berea there, we're told that Paul along with uh, Silas, he made his way then uh, out of that city down to the city of Athens, which was about a hundred and some mile track that he went. He ends up in the city of Athens. This is the place where Paul, remember, as he was walking through the city, he saw all these idols lining the streets, and he came across this one idol that had an inscription upon it to the unknown God. And it was there that the Apostle Paul had another opportunity to preach the gospel to the Athenians. He was taken and he was put before the people and he went through this long discourse of these Greek men and began to preach the gospel to them. We're told that after his preaching the gospel to them about the resurrection from the dead, that some of the men there mocked him. And others said, we want to hear you again, Paul. But we know that persecution arose once again from city to city. Nothing was new. I mean, you preach the gospel and it's the same for us. You make a stance for Jesus Christ. If you're unashamed of your faith, if you open your mouth for Christ, wherever you're at, there will be people that won't like it. Just know that that will come. But know that you're probably doing the right thing if you do catch opposition at times. We read in Acts chapter 18, the next chapter, the first verse, that Paul and Silas, that they then left Athens after this uh, opportunity that God gave them, and they made their way to Corinth. 
Now, it's in Corinth that Paul is writing these two letters, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, that were going to be delivered to them. We read now in verse 2, where Paul says in verse 1, he says, when we could no longer endure it, or we could no longer stand it. Can you get a sense of how Paul had this just this, this loving heart towards these believers, this concern for them? He wanted to see them do well. He didn't want to see the work that they started there be in vain. He didn't want to see how the enemy could get in there and rip them off. They were new in their faith. And he sends Timothy, and look what he says in verse 2 about Timothy. He says, I'm going to send basically my best. I'm going to send Timothy to you. Timothy is our brother in Christ. And look what else he says. Timothy is a minister or he's a servant of God. And then look what else he says. He's our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. That's who Paul sent to go up and do discipleship with these believers. But look what he was sending them for, to establish you and to encourage you concerning your faith. You see, we need that. We come here every week, or should, to hear the word of God. We come here to open his word because we want to be instructed from God's word. We want to be encouraged by the Lord. We, you know, we want to be built up. We want to be established. We want to be able to stand stronger in our faith when we leave these walls, when we go back out into the world and back into our work week, that you would be established, standing firm in your faith. Paul saw these believers like a family. That's not mine. That's not mine. And that did happen Wednesday night. Paul saw these believers like a family. It's, It's the way that we here should see one another. Have you ever noticed when I send out those prayer requests to you in an email? And I write on their church family because I see it that way. And I hope that you do too. That this body of believers, that we're a family in Jesus Christ. Paul saw the believers at Thessalonica and the believers at Berea and the the believers in, in all the places. He saw them as family. We are the body of Christ, church. And we we should be concerned that way for one another. Do do you ever uh, hear of one of the people in the church here, maybe that's going through something? And you get these prayer requests, and your heart just gets burdened to want to pray for them? That's the way we should be. Praying and burdening, We're, we're the family of God. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the model, that's the example that we see here, even in the Apostle Paul. Paul wanted to see that Timothy would establish them and and encourage them. And he also wanted to remind them that trials and tribulations will come. We told you that when we were with you, Paul says. When we were with you, we told you these things. Why did he want to tell them all these negative things? Would you like to tell a brand new person that you lead to the Lord that trials and tribulations await you? We usually don't like to tell them those kinds of things. We want to tell them all the rosy stuff, all the good stuff. But Paul saw fit and believed that it was important for them to understand that afflictions await. Hard times will come. It won't always be easy to stand up for your faith in the midst of a world that doesn't like what you stand for. Are we seeing that in our world right now? More and more. Paul wanted to remind them of that. He says in verse 3 that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were what? What's he say? Appointed. Appointed? You mean we've been appointed to afflictions? to difficult times in life, that God allows it? Why does he do that? I thought he loved me. 
You know, I thought he cared for me. I mean, I don't do that to my own kids. But he loves us. And and we actually grow through affliction. We, We grow through hard times. Paul wrote 14 of the 27 New Testament books. And much of what you read in Paul's letters has to do with ministry. It has to do with servanthood and trials, tribulation and suffering. You just read through the letters. You'll see it all the way through. Read Peter's letter. Read James' letter. They all have that same kind of thing. Wow. I mean, it just doesn't sound like it's always easy. But you know what? These are not the most popular topics that you find in churches today. You can go and visit churches and and you'll find a lot of them that will really stay away from the topic that I'm talking about today. I mean, if I talk about afflictions and, you know, that we could, I mean, who wants to hear that? I didn't come here to get bummed out. You know, I, I came here to get encouraged and to lift it up. And, you know, if you just tell me I'll prosper and everything will be good and, you know, and you give me those things, that's what I want to hear. But that's not always what really causes the growth and the maturity and the steadfastness. You see, somebody that's never been shaken up at the very core of their Christian faith, uh, when that day comes, if they haven't really grounded themselves in the truths and the promises of God, they might really waver. God is able to keep us from falling. God is able to have his hand upon us. But they may waver greatly. Because they won't understand. Paul says, I told you these things ahead of time. So that when they do come, you won't be caught off guard. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Be sober, Christians. That word just means be alert. Be vigilant, Christians, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Peter says, resist him. Be steadfast, here's the word again. Be steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a while, listen to this, after you have suffered a while, will perfect you will establish you and strengthen you and settle you. Do you see what God is doing in your life? Through all your trials and tribulations of life, he's working a good work in you. Don't ever think that Satan has the upper hand on you. You're a child of God. God has his hand upon you. And he's growing you in your trials and difficulties. You know, James, count it all joy. (laughs) I mean, that just sounds like weird stuff to somebody that doesn't know Christ, doesn't it? Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations and trials. But James goes on to say, knowing this, it's the trying of your faith that brings about endurance and patience in your life. God does something through them. There's actually a lot of topics that I could go to in Scripture from week to week if I wanted to. But that's not the style of teaching that I do. I want to take you verse by verse through the Bible. And so when we get to these areas that are the, the talking about trials and difficulties, those are, those are not the popular ones. But I have to teach it because I'm teaching you through the whole Bible, taking you verse by verse for your benefit. And it's for my benefit also to teach that way and for the Lord to minister to me. One of the brothers in the church here sent me a devotion in an email this week and very short, very simple, but I thought it had a lot of truth to it. Listen carefully to what it says. Here lies the great religious issue of the hour. Are we preaching and teaching a message of a God that serves humanity? 
or a humanity that serves God. Think of those two ways. It goes on to say, this was written some 100 years ago. If it was a question then, it is not much of a question now. Thinking of the church and how the church, much of the church today is. In much of the professing church, we are preaching a God whose one desire is that we should feel good about ourselves. We now have a a great therapist in heaven. We are worshiping the ultimate idol, ourselves. Will we be surprised one day when we find that God does not worship us? You see, what is this all about when we come here? Are we coming here to lift up our Lord and to lift up his name? And this is about lifting his name on high. You know, church is not all about me. Yeah, I do get ministered too. But it's not about me. You see, the life of a Christian is more about who God is and who God is to me and how I can worship him. The life of a Christian is not so much about me as it is about others. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive, isn't it? And, and so that's the life of a Christian. We need to be careful. Verse 4, Paul says, For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. In other words, he, he, he knew they were experiencing tribulation and persecution there in their own city. And, and, and he had told them ahead of time that that would take place. He was still concerned for them, and so he sends Timothy. But he's reminding them, I told you that this is the way it would be. He knew that their young faith was being tested. We do that with young believers. We want to just really help them along. All of a sudden, they have their first trial after they give their life to the Lord, and you're, you're just wanting to encourage them. You're trying to help them and let them see that God's going to be faithful to you, that he hasn't left you. He's not, he's not going to leave. You know, he's, going to, he's, going to be, he's going to help you. Let me pray with you. It's what we do. Paul wrote some similar words to the believers at Philippi, another city where he experienced great persecution. Remember the Philippian jailer and everything that took place there? He says, for to you, it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict, which you saw in me and now here is in me. Here's Paul writing another letter to the church at Philippi, saying similar words to them. I think that the days we're living in church, we need to be aware. We don't know what persecution we have ahead of us. Christians are experiencing, we just happen to be Christians living in the nation, United States of America, that at this point, we have a lot of religious freedoms, yet they are under attack, aren't they? And we don't know which type of persecution is going to come even in a greater way towards us. When it does happen, if it does, before the Lord returns, know that you've heard even this morning, these things will come. And so that you're not wondering, God, what did we do wrong? We used to have so much freedom here, and look what's happening now. No, it's maybe because the church is beginning to stand up in a world Paul, he knew how all of this worked. He knew the spiritual struggles and battles and tribulations and persecutions. It was going on in his life daily. And he wanted to convey those things to them. Why? Because it's good discipleship. It's teaching them what they need to know. Verse 5, look what he says. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, he says this for the second time, I could, I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. Paul tells them, I had my concerns for you. That's why I sent Timothy. 
That's why I sent him to you. We read in Scripture about various types of faith. Did you know that there's more than one type of faith in the Bible? There is saving faith. The day you gave your life to Christ, you know, that simple faith, that, that, that little bit of faith that God even gave you as a gift, enough so that you could believe in the simple gospel. That's saving faith. But there's also a growing faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You grow in your faith and it begins to mature and to grow. There's also what's referred to and we see in scripture as little faith. You ever experienced that? Little faith, meaning you're right in the middle of it, the storm's raging about you as it was with the disciples in the boat. And the Lord came out walking on the water and oh ye of little faith. It was always to his disciples that he used those terms. The ones that should have had great faith and believed in him because they just saw the miracle just moments before, days before, and now he's saying to him, oh ye, he doesn't say of no faith, he says, oh ye of little faith. Your faith wasn't sufficient. It was about this big, if I could put it that way. But we also read in Scripture about great faith, even the gift of faith. People that would bound up with great faith in their God. That God is able. That God is going to see me through this. That God can, can cause me to endure through all of these things. No matter what the storm looks like. No matter how difficult it looks. God, you are in control of that storm. And I believe in you. And thus, I will prevail. Do you think that the Lord is honored when we exercise that kind of faith in him? He goes, yeah. Yeah, I will be faithful to you. Verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all of our affliction and distress, we are comforted concerning you by your faith. They were actually being comforted. They actually, Paul and Silas and Timothy were actually being encouraged by the faith of these believers, these young believers that were in Thessalonica. How many times have you been encouraged and exhorted and kind of put out there when you saw a brand new believer that was so excited in his faith or her faith? And you've been a Christian for God. 35 years now. And you know what? And, 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 and they actually, it was actually convicting to me. They were so excited in their faith. They couldn't help but tell somebody about the Lord. And here I am. Yeah, I've been a Christian a long time. You know what? And, and God's, you know what? He wants to stir us up. These brand new believers up there, we read they were going everywhere in Macedonia and Cave. We didn't even need to say anything. They were just simply doing the work. Paul says in the first chapter of this letter, he brought out those three virtues of the Christian faith, faith, hope, and love. He says those things were active in you. We heard it from Timothy when he came back that it was still going on. We saw it when we heard how you were going out and sharing the gospel, that work of faith, that labor of love, that patience of hope. It was in you. It was evident. Those three virtues, faith, hope, and love. That's what God wants to mature and grow in us. He wants your faith to grow. He wants your hope to even expand into a greater way. God, I'm, I, I, I'm enduring because I'm looking ahead. Man. I can't wait until the day that I stand in your presence and we go home to be with you. It's why I'm able to endure in this life. And the love that you've placed in my heart by the Holy Spirit... God, I want it to grow. I want it to abound more so towards others and towards you. As a result of this good report from Timothy, Paul goes on to write his beloved brothers and sisters, and he says, stand fast in the Lord. Look at verse 8. For now we live if we stand fast in the Lord. 
For what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God? Night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. That's that growing faith. Growing faith. Do you know that this word standing fast could also be translated standing firm? When you think of standing firm in one location, standing firm upon something, that you're unmovable as a believer. It's real hard to shake your foundation. It's real hard to shake your faith up so that you would doubt God. You're standing firm upon the promises that he has taught you. You're unmovable in your walk and your faith in God. You're not retreating in the battle. Have you ever felt like running away from a trial? Just get me out of here. I'm done with it. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to deal with it anymore. And, I, I, and, and you're freaking out. And you're, you're not, you know. That's not, that's retreating. The enemy comes in like a storm and then I want to run away from him. Instead of just standing and holding our ground. You see, that's the picture that we get in the book of Ephesians. That the Apostle Paul gives to the believers there at Ephesus about putting on the armor of God. He says in verse 10 of chapter 6, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Did you get that verse? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of whose might? His might. Not your might. Not your ability to stand. But in his might. And then he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? Do you know the verse? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. That sounds terrible. But that's the battle, isn't it? But then he says this, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? Withstand in the evil day. When's your evil day? Is it today? Have you already kind of been through that evil day? Is it I mean, we all have that evil day, don't we? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to what? What's it say? To stand. And having done all to stand, and then the very next two words say, stand therefore. The whole emphasis upon that putting on the armor is that you would stand against your enemy. You wouldn't turn your back and go the other way and retreat from him. It's the picture of that soldier planting those shoes with the spikes on the bottom and on that slippery slope, planting them into the mud, having that broadsword against that enemy that's coming against him. And those shoes were to keep him stable so he wouldn't slip and fall. We don't get the picture of Christians running away. We get the picture of standing before our enemy and letting God fight for us. Standing firm is not giving in to Satan's temptations that come your way. Paul finished this section with a desire and a prayer for the believers there at Thessalonica. He's writing out what his prayer is. He's praying, and as he's praying, he's writing it down. That's what's going on. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. He's rejoicing. Paul is just praying night and day for them. 
wanting to see them be victorious, not wanting to see the work be in vain, wanting to see them stand strong in the Lord. And he's rejoicing in this good report when he gets it from Timothy. Timothy came back. I'm sure his, he was like, Paul, hey, I was back there. I spent time. You know, they couldn't call. They didn't have texting. They didn't, you know, text out and say, hey, everything's good. You know, it, it, Paul, I, I, they're doing good. It was incredible. I went up there and, and yeah, the persecution's still going on, Paul. But man, they're, they're going out telling everybody about the Lord. He was thrilled. It caused him to break out in prayer. Start praying for them. Why? Because even though they were doing good, have you ever had times where you're doing good and then a month later you're not doing so good? Yeah, it happens, doesn't it? We're doing good and then we're not. We're not doing so well. You know, we're getting dry. We're not where we used to be. Paul knew that. He knew that in his own life. He knows that about us. The Lord knows that about us. We need to be encouraged. We need to pray for one another. It's a continual battle, isn't it? It's not something that just, you know, happens in the beginning days and once we grow and mature, then every no, it actually heats up. Grow in your faith, be more bold in your faith, get out there more in your faith, it'll heat up. You go, well, maybe I won't then. I'll just sit here and just relax a little. You'll miss the blessing. You'll miss the fruit of what God wants to do in and through you. But look what he says in his prayer, because he's not content in his own life, and he's not content in the lives of the believers there at Thessalonica, that they would just have God's love in them uh, out there. But he says, i praying for you that it would increase and that it would abound, and that you would abound in your love towards one another even more so. Let me ask you a question. How in love are you this morning with the Lord Jesus Christ? Could you honestly say that you're more in love with the Lord today than you were a year ago in your walk? Could you actually say that you have a love towards your brothers and sisters in Christ in such a way that I've never had before? that is actually growing and and something that's actually stirring in me even more so. Do you sense that that's going on in your life? Paul's praying that it would increase and it would abound. That just tells me it's more, more and more. So that tells me that my love relationship this way between me and God, that it can grow. Do you know that by your very nature you don't love God? before Christ. We love him, the Bible says, because he first loved us. And when you came into this love relationship with the living God, he started this love relationship at, a, at this level, but it begins to grow, doesn't it? As you desire to be obedient to his word, as you begin to grow in your faith, all of a sudden you can say, you know what, I'm actually more in love with God than I've ever been. But let me ask you this, do you think you could fall in more in love with him? It's the way it's supposed to work in marriage, by the way, guys. We're supposed to actually be falling more in love with our wife as the years go by. We have a Valentine's dinner tonight, by the way. If you haven't signed up and you want to go, there's still room. This is a great way to express to your wife, hey, it's a dinner, it's going to cost me 65 bucks, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm privileged to take you to dinner. Why? Because I'm growing more in love with you. It's the way it should be in our relationship with the Lord, but it should also be the way in our relationship with one another. We don't by nature just want to, oh, I, I love you, brother. I, I, let me pray. Let me help you. Let me come out and, you know, and, no, that's, that's not my makeup. My makeup is, hey, I want to do my thing. Got all my things to do, you know. But God wants to do something in us of that sort, that love relationship with him and that love relationship with one another. Paul says, you know what, if that increases and that abounds, it's going to be incredible what God's going to do in Calvary Chapel Fellowship. It's going to be incredible what he's going to do here. If you'll abound in that. 
Paul finishes like he does in each chapter of Thessalonians here with an encouragement that the Lord is coming back. I want you to get this in your mind. There's going to come a day that you're going to stand face to face with the Lord. Literally, you're going to stand face to face with God. Can you just put yourself in that place right now a little bit? Think about that, what that might look like. You standing face to face with the living God. If the reality of that is in your heart and you know that that day is coming, then these are words of encouragement and excitement to you and they help you to endure in this life so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and our Father at the coming. He hasn't come back yet, church. He came the first time and went to the cross. He said, I'm coming back in like manner, but he has not yet returned. But he is coming back. And he's coming back with all of his saints. If you're a born-again Christian, you're a holy one. You're a saint. Incredible that he would even refer to us as that. But it's because of the work of Jesus Christ in our life. Hebrews 12:14 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. How do you become holy? How do you become a saint? Saints are not ones that are statues. Saints are people that have given their life to Christ. We're saints by the sheer fact that we've entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And by that, he calls you the Holy One. Did you know that? He calls you the Holy One. And as a matter of fact, according to the book of Jude in verse 24, there's only one chapter, Jude 24, it says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the Father with exceeding joy. How could God even do that? I'm not faultless. Come on. I've probably committed a sin sitting here in church already. I mean, we're not faultless. How does he do that? Because the shed blood of Jesus Christ continues to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And when you stand eye to eye before the Lord someday and you're presented before the Lord and he present you faultless before the Father with exceeding joy and Jesus Christ in a sense is at your right hand and you stand before the Father without holiness, no one will ever see the Lord. We have an incredible God, incredible Savior that wants to do an incredible work in our lives. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.